Today on Developer Voices, we're talking to one of the authors of the O'Reilly book, Fundamentals of Data Engineering. It's a nice lofty title, isn't it? You might ask yourself, what's data engineering? Isn't all engineering involving data? Come on, give me a definition. And yeah, that's basically where I begin the conversation with Joe. But this is one of those conversations that really took me by surprise. I thought we'd be talking about data serialization formats, Apache Flink versus Apache Spark, the necessary evils of a bunch of Python scripts that munge things. But where we actually ended up was way more fundamental than that. What are we moving data around for? What's the value of engineering data to the end user? What responsibilities do we have to the business? This is very much a conversation where technology exists and data exists as a means of serving some larger goal. You know, here on this podcast, we love to think about how we're getting to the future. This is a good reminder that the how begins with the why. What and who are we doing all this data engineering for? In the end, I suppose this week's episode is a story about people using the business and within the business told through the lens of data. So let's get started. I'm your host, Chris Jenkins. This is Developer Voices, and today's voice is author Joe Reese. My guest today is Joe Reese. Joe, how are you doing? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm very well, very well. Excited to okay. talk to you about your newly released book. Yeah, uh, which is which has a great title, a weighty, meaty title: "Fundamentals of Data Engineering." Yeah, we put the fun in fundamentals, so <laughs> that's like. I mean, there are two sides to that, right? You've got fundamentals. Anyone who says they they can write a book on fundamentals means business. Mm -hmm. And on the other side, you've got data engineering, which feels like, oh, do we need a new term for that? I'm going to start right. there. Why do we need the term data engineering? Haven't we been doing that since the 60s? I mean, you can make a strong argument that we have, right? <laughs> so, I mean, every, everything we've been doing with computers has data in it, and I suppose it's an yeah. engineering element to it. So, but I didn't, see the term in, I didn't see the term in the 60s, uh, so, uh, <laughs> but... Um, I, I didn't make up the term data engineering either, right? I just think it's a field where we're really, we're really good at uh, coming up with new ways of describing things that are old and maybe a few new things tacked on. So data engineering is one of them. Uh, I think I first saw the term popping up maybe around 2015, 2016. And again, we can get more into some of the backstory that I've heard, recently heard about the origins of the term data engineering. But uh you know, the, the attempt really of this book was to describe a field that I feel like I know I'd implicitly been doing for a while and uh, many other people had. So, you know, you're trying to delineate what this thing we seem to be doing anyway actually is and presumably should be. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. I mean, it, it's no different than data science. I mean, that came out in what, 2009 as, as a term. Uh, yeah. You know, that is some fine folks from uh, LinkedIn, I believe. And, um, you know, I still to this day have literally no clue what data science means, even though <laughs> we use the term every day. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, but the, but the field has been well described, right? Even if you can't come up with a consistent term for maybe, say, data science, um, you still kind of implicitly know what it is. But same thing with data engineering. I felt like that um, 
there were a lot of books, uh, you know, prior to mine about data engineering, uh, you know, data engineering in AWS, data engineering with Spark and so forth. But what we hadn't seen, um, me and my co-author hadn't seen was, um, you know, people taking a step back and really trying to describe data engineering from first principles, right? Not so tied look, to a particular technology, but correct. in general. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which which to us was a harder thought experiment. Like if you were to, to um, you know, sort of massage, uh, uh, you know, data engineering and sort of, you know, peel apart, you know, what, what's what's there? Like, what are the immutables? What are the things that aren't likely to change over the next five to 10 years? I think that was the book that, you know, Matt Housley, my co-author and I were interested in writing. We certainly were not interested in writing, you know, data engineering with um, Python or something like that. Not to say those aren't great books and great ideas, but that just wasn't what we were interested in doing. So you want the more abstract stuff that's going to maybe even outlive our careers. I mean, that was one of the goals, um, you know, Kevin, who one of our uh, actually one of the people who wrote a praise quote said that this book will, uh, you know, live on for decades and maybe it will, maybe, maybe it won't. I have no idea. Um, but you know, no, O'Reilly too. And we had, um, approached them with the idea for this book. They actually, um, tried to convince us not to do it. They, they said this is going to be a very challenging. Really? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, two first time authors, uh, who have the hubris to try and describe an entire field. I mean, that's the kind of book that I think scares publishers. Um, yeah. Ambitious. Yeah, so. trying to make concrete those kind of abstract terms, you can see people getting lost in the weeds for a long time. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yep. And so, it, it, but but we, you know, um, you know, Matt and I, we were, were both too smart for our own good, and I would say too dumb for our own good too. So we figured <laughs> uh, this was, you know, something we needed to do, and which, which was challenging. We were running a business at the same time. I mean, I was in the middle of uh, remodeling a, a new house and. Um, Lord knows what other projects we had. And so writing a book in the middle of that was maybe not the uh, wisest endeavor, but it was, uh, it was the path that we chose, or I would say that the, the you know, the path chose us. So. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And you survived to tell the tale and print the, uh, print the cover. Yeah. Did yeah. that. <laughs> so. Okay. So we should get into what you discovered, distilled, invented. No, um, delineated. That's the word I'm looking yeah, for. I don't think I invented anything. Maybe we get, maybe we provided a different way of looking at the field. Maybe that was. Mm. I don't know if that's an invention. That's more just like here's a lens. So. Yeah, lens. Yeah, yeah. That's a very good way to put it. So, looking through your lens at what data engineering is, can you define it for me as a field? Yeah, I mean the the TLDR. Um, too long didn't read of data engineering is you know your. Um, you know, there, there are systems that set uh, upstream from you that generate data. You know, these might be relational databases, uh, you know, NoSQL databases, APIs, or whatever. Hmm. Um, often, these these systems aren't. Um, you know, they they are they don't treat uh, quote data as a first class citizen. Uh, data engineering, a, a, da a data engineer will take that data, um, you know, do something to it to make it useful for downstream consumption. Uh, you know, for use cases like machine learning, analytics, reverse ETL or whatever. And so that's, yeah. in a nutshell, um, you know, the role of a data engineer, a data engineer is responsible for the, uh, what we call the data engineering life cycle as well as its undercurrents. So, um, you know, again, looking at uh, systems upstream, ingesting that data, you know, transforming it, serving it all along the way, storing it in various ways, shapes, or forms. And then you're also responsible for the undercurrents, right? So that's like security, 
data management, architecture, ops, orchestration, software engineering, et cetera. So, so in a nutshell, that's what we felt really encapsulated the field of data engineering. You know, uh, and that's pretty big. I mean, by the time you're doing one thing, by the time you're doing anything plus security and large-scale storage, that's already mm-hmm. enough to be quite a lot for people to learn as a career. It is. And we don't expect people to, to you know, to um, become experts in all these things. But it, but we, we feel as like these are the things that you at least need to be aware of as a data engineer and, and be cognizant of. And depending where you work, right, depending on the size and, you know, maturity of the company you're at, maybe you'll be handling all of this, maybe you'll be handling a small subset of it. But to be aware of the, um, you know, sort of the holistic uh, life cycle, you know, I think it's incumbent upon data engineers because without that sense of sort of how data flows and the various things that happen to data along its life cycle, um, you know, you, you I, I don't think you really understand, um, you know, the, the full extent of, of how you impact uh, data as a data engineer or, or otherwise, right? So, yeah, yeah. In a way, your your very job, I think, is to connect between separate systems, right? Between yeah. sources of data and the people trying to analyze it. And if your job is building bridges and connections, you have to be aware of the larger picture. Yeah, the bigger picture is the one thing that, you know, I kept noticing, and same with Matt Housley, my co-author, we, we kept noticing, you know, engineers are very myopically focused on, you know, their task at hand or their their specific silo. But, you know, through our consulting practice and through our experiences, you know, just working at nine to five jobs, we noticed that that mentality and that, that perspective, I think really shortchanged, um, you know, data teams, right? So, yeah, if you aren't holistic, uh, then you, you really don't appreciate again the impact that you have, and, and by understanding the impact you have, and um, you know, I, I think being it, it means you can have a bigger impact in your job, right? And so, yeah, and a more healthy one. So, but how do you, if you're if you're doing that, if you're trying to build together different systems as a whole and trying to get, I'm thinking large organizations like banks is a good example you're trying to build very tricky bridges between different things it feels like it'd be very easy for that to fall into always being ad hoc stuff building rope bridges between places that were never designed to be connected <laughs> rope bridges are like a or like those tarzan rope swings between them yeah i mean it's, yeah, it's sort yeah, of occasionally like, falling off the rope and crashing <laughs> Totally. Yeah. And a pit of alligators or something. Um, I mean, that happens often. Right. And so I think mm. that's that this is exactly the result of not having um, kind of zooming out. Right. And having the, the bigger perspective. This is precisely what happens. And we see this all the time. Right. I mean, yeah. most architectures, especially as you get bigger, um, you know, bigger companies, they, they're more like Rube Goldberg machines than they are <laughs> uh, um, something that has any coherent sense. And, and, and that's uh, you know, that, that's a symptom. That's not a cause, right? That's a symptom of, of practices and uh, maybe generations of, of various uh, departments or uh, fiefdoms or kingdoms of yeah. uh, these organizations building things according to it, their will and so forth and not recognizing maybe the larger domain in which they operate and maybe the larger enterprise. And so, so again, you know, data engineers, if you kind of zoom into what specifically, you know, we think data engineers should do, then this, you know, the, the life cycle management um that we described earlier that's um you know that's again one lens uh, through which to look at it I, I can't say that maybe we've completely um 
you know, describe the field, but I think to the best of Matt and I's abilities, I think we did. So, right. Yeah. There might be some pushback, so, but it's fine. It sounds like part of the job is always going to be uh, persuasion as well. Like the social aspect of data engineering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but that's the same in any field, right? I mean, it's well, like software engineering persuasion, and uh, yeah. I mean, my, my accounting is persuasion and so forth. But it's, uh, you know, persuade persuasion is just. I mean, th- yeah, there's two angles. Says, I mean, this is something I harp on a lot, and in, in my podcasts and writings too is persuading, uh, and selling is just one of these things where I think it's a very underrated skill, which we can talk about you know, if you'd like. But I think that that's the uh, that's the yin to the yang of being a, a you know technically. Uh, proficient and whatnot is, I mean, it's great to be technically proficient, but then um, being able to translate that into, uh, you know, systems or practices that people believe in and people can uh, buy into. Uh, yeah. I would argue perhaps that's the harder skill to, to earn and then um, to practice in an organization. But yeah, I definitely think yeah. as an engineer, you don't have to sell things for money, but you do often have to sell ideas. I mean, well, you you are selling it for money in the sense where your paycheck does <laughs> revolve. Yeah, yeah, but like, but I mean, you don't. You're not trying to get someone to write a, sign a contract and give you yeah, money so yeah. much as you're trying to persuade. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I mean, even you. Well, I mean, even as an engineer, you're trying to persuade other people on your team. I mean, this is sometimes the hardest part, is mm-hmm. especially when you have a lot of really smart, opinionated people, which tends to be engineering teams. Yeah, um, you know, vying for ideas. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you've been, you sat in on meetings with the, with dev teams and, and, uh, you know, analytical teams and so forth. I mean, it, it, these conversations are fun. They can also be brutal. Um, you know, and so it, it's persuasion is yep. definitely a, a something where I think people should uh, get stronger at. And it's, but it's also persuading in a, in a healthy manner. What I see often is when you get too many smart people in a room with opinions, uh, the risk of bike shedding, um, yep. you know what that term means, uh, that becomes yeah, a very real thing. And that's, um, that's the one thing where you got to have uh, the a situational awareness to know when you're entering uh, the land of uh, extreme navel gazing and um, pointless <laughs> conversations. <laughs> so, yeah, and it, sne- it sneaks up on you. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, so speaking of situational awareness, maps. You have you've outlined this data lifecycle as a way of looking at the map of the landscape of data yeah. engineering. So take me through your idea of the data life cycle. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, so it, it's it's data life cycles really. If you kind of zoom out, you know, to its entirety, I mean, data life cycles are very fractal, right? And and they have feedback loops in each other, right? So if you take the, the general data life cycle when uh, you know data is created, and then things happen to it along the way, you know, it morphs yeah. into different shapes and forms and. You know, uh, and it kind of has this, it kind of has, a, you know, an interesting like value stream map almost, right? I mean, data, data isn't just created for, um, you know, that just willy nilly. I mean, it, it was, there was an intention behind its creation, an intention behind its usage, uh, and maybe an intention in terms of like when it's archived or when it goes away to die, hmm. right? And so, you know, uh, and it, and it goes through different domains, different processes, different modalities, and so forth, different, different data models and all this stuff, right? Um, so the data engineering life cycle really encapsulates, I would say, the boundaries as they exist right now. And again, I'm open to, to changing this thought process as, as practices evolve in the future. But as it stands right now, um, you know, a lot of data that's OK. So data as a um, an entity or, or uh, you know, versus data as a department 
I'm going to distinguish between those because the term's overloaded. Um, but data okay. as uh, as um, a thing, maybe uh, that's yeah. used in applications, right? Uh, in various ways and shapes or forms. But there's also this other thing, you know. There's this whole practice of quote data which involves maybe data science, uh, you know, whatever that is, we can talk about that. Um, yeah. Analytics, machine learning, and, and many other use cases, you know, that apply themselves to non-application um, uh, uses, right? So then there's this sort of a, a divide right now. And again, I, we can get into why I think this divide's maybe artificial or maybe needs to go away. But as it stands right now, the, the role of a data engineer is basically the, the sort of the, um, the middle layer between applications and, and the use cases of, quote, data. Um, and why did this come into being, right? Yeah. Uh, this, this life cycle, which we could talk about. Well, it was implicitly something already done by data scientists. I mean, this old trope about data scientists spending 80, 90% of their time getting, cleaning, you know, doing stuff with data, stuff they weren't trained to do, stuff that they hate doing, but they do it anyway because that's the old trope. They're supposed to do this. And then the, the prerequisite to getting the actual job they want to do done. Right. So how would you feel if 10 to 20% of your job was spent doing the thing that you're actually trained to do? <laughs> and the other 80, 90% of it was spent doing all the stuff that you weren't trained to do and you kind of loathe. Um, that's the reality of data science. I mean, my, my uh, title on LinkedIn is a recovering data scientist. And, um, you know, a lot of that was born through um, just direct experience of having done this. It's like I have to, you know, at some point I was like, I need to build the systems and the workflows for me to be able to, to do my job as a data scientist. And I wasn't the only one. This kept happening over and over. I met my co-author and business partner, Matt Housley. Uh, uh, he had a lot of the same experiences, you know, and so that, um, uh, you know, and I noticed, you know, data engineering started coming into the fray and, um, you know, I, I think it's sort of this recognition that, okay, so software engineers, you know, they aren't going to manage this, this life cycle of like getting data from applications, you know, transforming it for use cases, storing it and, serving it that that's well maybe that's a data scientist but maybe there's a you know sort of this this uh um you know this, this emergence of a new uh you know title i suppose data engineer that sort of just came out i think of out of necessity to serve yeah. the use case of the data scientist because these data scientists these poor people um for the most part they i think a lot of them like myself just went into data engineering out of practicality because it's like unless you build a foundation of getting the data <laughs> to be able to do something useful with it, you have no data upon which to do the science, right? So then yeah. you're... Um, okay, so make that concrete for me. How do you build that kind of foundation? Yeah, it's... Um, well, it's just that easy and just that hard, right? So uh, it's like, you got to understand what your use cases are. You got to understand what your requirements are. You know, what, what kind of latencies do you need? What's... what's who, who When you're serving data... So when a data scientist is serving the end customer, what's needed, right? It's not necessarily the data scientist that's the end customer. The end customer is the person that's um, using that data for, you know, uh, to make decisions. It might be uh, a machine learning. It might be, you know, a machine learning model that's serving, you know, billions of users in an application, right? And we've talked mm. about feedback loops in a bit. It goes back to that. So the end customer is, you know, both human and machine at this point. Uh, it's not just a person. Um but it's the end use case. And the end use case, again, if you want to take it to an extra, another step, the end customer is the end customer, right? So it's the user of an application with that machine learning model. It's a, um, it's a person who's impacted by the decision that's made by the person looking at the report. And 
decisions made from that. And so you work backwards from those use cases and then you figure out what those, um, you know, what those, what that foundation needs to look like. Right. But I think there's certain immutables in the foundation. You're going to need to ingest data from sources. You're going to need Mm. to store it in some mechanism, right. Or whether that's a very temporary storage, uh, you know, in the case of uh, streaming data, that data still is stored as a log somewhere, or yeah. maybe it's a long-term archival, um, you know, or, or uh, maybe it's available in a data warehouse or a lake house or whatever. But then you got to have different ways of, you know, integrating and transforming data for those use cases. You know, maybe it's, you know, a dimensional model for a report. Maybe it's one big table for a report. Maybe it's, um you know, making data useful for feature engineering for a model, machine learning model that is. So, so there's um, a whole other universe. And then of course there's the machine learning engineering universe, which we won't talk about, but that's, you know, a, a different <laughs> parallel universe. And, but I always look, I always look at things for the end customer, right? Like who, you know, in the external customer, typically like who's at the end of the day, like how is this impacting somebody? You know, what, what's yeah. the use case? And then you work backwards and you figure out what that is. But but the life cycle of data engineering, as far as you know, Matt and I could tell that that it doesn't disappear. I mean, under under uh, we tried to you know we tried to beat the crap out of this idea. And it's like, okay, so under what situation would this thing like, go away? And we're like, I don't know, as it stands right now. Unless you know, the only time I see this this shrinking really or or um, you know um, morphing is when uh, software engineering and uh, you know, so more to the point like application and data sort of become. Uh, you know, a lot more integrated at which point maybe it does, right? Which we can also talk about and how that happens, but. Well, yeah, this is, so going back to the idea that you have that data is written with intention, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're saying, okay, so the application writes some data <clears throat> with a particular intent. Someone over there wants that raw data because they have a completely different intent. And somehow it's the job of the data engineer to connect intent. And I'm wondering if you say that the data engineer has to be aware of the final intent, but maybe they don't. Maybe it's their job to get data written with one intent and make it generically available in an unopinionated way. I mean, that would be great if you could. Yeah. I you agree. think we can. I, I think that that. Yeah, I think. Well, it depends. I, there's generic data. I mean, it, it could work. I think depending on your use case, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I suppose it depends on what you define as generic data. One, one thing I've been thinking a lot about, and it's not a new idea, but uh, my friend uh, John Giles. So he's um, you know kind of one of these people who's like a. Put in the category of just like this Yoda type person. Um, Yoda, <laughs> yeah. Is Yoda a person? I don't know. But anyway, Yoda. I classify, Yoda rights yeah. and human rights. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I classify, I, I put him in that category where he's he's really thinking about, the, so I, I'm writing a new book on data modeling right now. And I've been, really been thinking about data modeling from first principles. And okay, one of the things he describes in his books, um, the nimble elephant, for example, is the use of patterns. Um, so data model patterns, right? So back in the like the nineties, actually, people were coming up with these generic data model patterns that could be used across industries, right? So maybe you're in manufacturing, here's a manufacturing model pattern that you should use. Um, right. And really, you know, as, as you think about this, there are, um, higher level generic modeling patterns you can use. For example, um, the party and the role is a classic example, right? So there's a, a party, this might be a customer, this might be a, you know, a, I don't know, a dog, 
but they might have a role, right? And so forth. And, and so these, you know, but these higher level abstractions certainly could be used, I think, to come up with quote generic data, um, you know, I'm or at least like, I would say more flexible patterns of using data. That's always what in the early days is what like uh, COD was trying to get out with relational data, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Data that was completely separate from the way you might use it. Yeah, that was, yeah, exactly. Because back in the day, you had like, yeah, ISM and, and other approaches, you know, other databases with, with different, um, you know, like hierarchical approaches or network approaches, for example. And like his model, the relational model is really taking, okay, so if I take like set theory and, you know, and I'm trying to apply that to data, what does this look like? And like the relational model is, is definitely, a, I think, definitely a wonderful, um, it's not even a physical abstraction, really. It's a logical abstraction of the data. And yeah. it's somewhat conceptual, but more logical. And and yeah, so I mean, people have definitely taken that. But what, what I find interesting is, uh, you know, if you ask application developers, okay, so uh, t show me the, you know, the relational model you're using, right? Like the, the, the what, what normal form is your database in? <laughs> um, I've asked this to a lot of developers and, you know, I would say half of them don't even know what that means right now. Or it may, yeah. it may be, studied it for a second in CS or, you know, their um, IS class. And then just, you know, so it's, you know, these abstractions are, I think, so it's, it's interesting because I'm trying to reconcile the, the notion of, okay, so data, um, you know, from this ivory tower standpoint where we view it as, you know, the, 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 we, we can talk about the generic abstractions of data um, and the methodologies of getting there, but then, you know, you, you uh, try and balance that against the real world implementation of it at a physical level. And it's, it gets very fascinating because this data traverses through the life cycle, right? It, you know, applications, <clears throat> for example, if I'm an app developer, hey, maybe I'll just use, uh, I don't know, MongoDB and just store everything as uh, nested collections um, yeah. you know, and documents <laughs> in the collection. And then uh, I've seen some crazy stuff. I saw people using like dates as like keys um, in Mongo. Uh, oh, yeah, that exactly. seems very troubling for most <laughs> use cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but that that happened. And it was troubling. It's it's really it called us in. They're like, this thing doesn't work. I'm like, no, oh, show you why. Um, so uh, <laughs> you might not like the answer, know, but, but so th but there's a flexibility, right? So the, I think because tools have gotten very easy to use, it, it, what it means is, and and, and and people maybe don't haven't learned the, um, you know, the what, when, or why of um, you know maybe data modeling, for example, or other practices. Now it's like, okay, I'm just going to throw data into this easy to use thing. And, uh, you know, this, and then things happen. Uh, and so, and, but then you start multiplying this across every, every time data moves across it, its life cycle, maybe for a different purpose now, mm. um, you know, every tool is easy to use uh, these days. I, I would say overwhelmingly, it's not like, oh, it was 10 years ago. Everything's off the shelf for the most part. It's like, Super easy to get into. I, I always equate it to a bear trap. Uh, easy to get into, very hard to get out of, um, and painful. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you might lose a limb trying to get out of this thing. And the, this is very much uh, the way it is right now with with data. So to bring it back to the life cycle, right? It's kind of like if you're if you're aware of just the various stages that data moves and, and your your areas of responsibility. Hopefully, that at least gives you a framework and a lens through which to view. Um, Maybe, you know, how, how do you approach practices, um, you know, from a higher level, maybe a more intelligent level? Because if you, if, you, if you approach it from a very myopic view, like I have to uh, figure out, um, you know, the, the cheapest way to finish my ticket for the sprint, 
um, in a way that, you know, may cause yeah. insane collateral damage, but whatever, <laughs> um, that's fine. Uh, um, blow up the village if I have to, to get to get this sprint done, uh, then that's what it is. Right now, but that's the approach I think a lot of people take now. It, it's sort of what, what's, what's the task in front of me and how do I do this as, as quickly as possible? Um, and so the, yeah. the notion of the yeah. life cycle is really to give you the context of the various things you should at least consider. And, you know, if, if you're aware of the, the life cycle and the, and, you know, and you still want to ignore it, I suppose it's your prerogative and you get to deal with what happens. So. Okay. So let's think more about that then. So your life cycle is, I've, I've got the diagram just in front of me. I'm going to read it off. So you've got generation, ingestion, transformation, serving to the final use case. Right? Yeah. Let's, I I think it's interesting that, I mean, there's a lot that's interesting about that. And I guess you spend a whole section of the book unpacking it, right? But ingestion is always harder than you think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. Transformation is not, doesn't seem necessarily a part of a data engineer's job, aside from changing data formats. And serving is just a whole world of, okay, so technology choices. Yeah. Can you give Could me be. some concrete guidance on this? Ingestion is always hard because you're you're relying upon uh, data that you typically have no control over, right? Yeah. So you're you're on the receiving end of it, right? So the data is in <laughs> yeah. whatever format it happens to be in. It's in whatever storage mechanism it happens to be in, and you get to try and ingest that. Um, given a whole body of constraints, that's super fun. So you yeah. can do push or pull, um, you know, batch or streaming. You know, the the world's your oyster. Uh, have yeah. at it. So that's, that's, as you point out, the very, very hard part there. Um, transformation is an interesting one. I feel like that, um, you know, is, it is a quasi optional section in some ways, right? Uh, mm -hmm. in, in the sense where maybe you, you don't need to transform the data. Maybe you just ingest it and then serve it, right? Um, you know, in which case, why not just go to the transactional system or the resource system and just get the data yourself? Right. You can you do a read replica from a database and just do it that yeah. way. So um, but sometimes you want to store that data in, in a data warehouse, maybe in its raw form. And you're perfectly fine doing that. And again, I think it's, um, you know, so somebody asked me, um, uh, my friend Larry Burns actually asked me, he's a, he's a really big data modeler too. one of the uh, people I put in the Yoda category. But he was uh, I think Bill Inman actually asked me this, too. Um, he's the guy who created the data warehouse. But uh, so these people are like, why aren't you talking about integration? And I was like, well, we we're about to you know talk about integrating data in the context of transformation, right? But then what happens when you have a stream uh, that that you have no you haven't integrated any other data with? Then integration is not the same as transformation, right? Integration could just mean I'm combining different data sources without a transformation step, right? And so um, okay, right? And so that's the delineation there. And but with with uh, things like streaming, maybe maybe you don't need to, right? It's just the, the stream is a stream, and so that's um, but I, I think the, the transformation is where it gets a bit interesting because that's where the data starts getting value, arguably, right? So if data from a source system already has value, I, I would assume that the data maybe accidentally or purposefully had a data intention in mind, not just the application intention. Mm. So that's um, then you get bonus points for skipping over that one. Congratulations. Good job. You're, you're, <laughs> you're working really well with your... your uh, uh, you know, your application team or the people providing the data. And um, I think that's pretty awesome, right? But typically transformation is where it gets interesting. 
because you are having to, uh, you know, either transform a, a data set, uh, you know, a raw data set into something that's amenable to analytics, say, we'll use that as an example. So aggregations and, um, you know, different ways of molding the data uh, for an analytical purpose that's um, often tricky, right? Um, yeah. Because again, the, the data from these source systems is often doesn't have a consideration of uh, analytics in mind. And so, you know, and then, um, you know, or if you were to take it a step further and transform data into something that's, uh, you know, uh, say a dimensional model, like what Ralph Kimball came up with for star schema, that's, you know, a very well-established, well-trodden way of providing analytics, uh, you know, in a way that preserves business logic uh, business rules and so forth, and, and uh, you know preserves those concepts that uh, you know ultimately a business user when they're using the data, um, you know can access it and understand it. And so, again, it depends on your end customer, right? That's where transformation comes in. And, and I feel like that's one of the chapters where I, I was actually least satisfied because um, I felt like, okay. and that's actually why I'm writing a book on data modeling because I felt like the whole notion of data modeling is just um, it needs to be, I think, re-exposed to a new generation of, of um, engineers, whether they're software engineers, data engineers, data scientists, whatever. Like, yeah, it feels like it feels like in jumping from the single machine relational <clears throat> era to the you know petabyte multiple servers, we need new kinds of databases era. We forgot a lot about data modeling. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's and it's at a higher level too, right? It's high level modeling. It's not even like how you physically implement it, but it's like how do you translate business concepts, um, you know, in the way data is used in the enterprise? And the enterprise is a very enterprisey term, but I'll use it. Uh, but but okay, so you know, and again, the, the way I'm seeing it is, it's you know, whether you're drawing on domain driven design, you know, as Eric Evans described it back in the day, or whether you're talking about uh, you know high level. Uh, you know, conceptual and logical modeling, you know, across the enterprise, uh, you know, John Giles calls it enterprise data modeling and enterprise logical model, but like translating these concepts um, in, in a way that, you know, these, these can be reused across different aspects of the data life cycle. And so there's no confusion, right? Right now it's like when you talk about a customer, for example, right, or a product, these are two classic examples of things that get lost in translation. And by the time it goes from an application where the engineers have one idea of a customer all the way to, <laughs> Uh, data scientists who may have a different idea of a customer. I mean, it, it, I think it just behooves us as as anyone who touches data to really take a step back and just have a unified way of looking at um, these, these, you know, business rules, business concepts, um, definitions, and so forth. But again, easier said than done, right? We can quantificate all day, but it's like, um, but I think this is one of the central struggles of, of where the data field is right now is yeah. we actually don't have... Uh, we, we tend to operate very much in our own um, kind of a, you know, I said earlier that the life cycle is very fractal. And if you kind of zoom in on where uh, people practice, right. So uh, different, different, um, uh, different intents, for example, become different silos. And so that's, um, you know, one thing I've just been uh, thinking a lot about, but as, as it pertains to the, the data engineering life cycle, you know, kind of bringing it back to that, like transformations is one of these things where if you can get the data right upstream, right. Mm. They, they, generation and the ingestion part and well the generation part everything is easier you may not even have to transform data but you're transforming mainly um because that's um you know just how are you going to translate it into to, you know various other intents down the down the road right and then serving you bring up yeah. serving like that that's it's a gobstopper i mean geez uh 
any well, number of ways get of serving into that, it. If I can step you back just a second. Oh, yeah, please do. That, yeah. that makes me wonder, like, this idea of pushing the responsibility for data upstream. Are, mm-hmm. are you an advocate of, like, the whole data mesh, data as a product, data should be a primary concern within each department? idea yeah i am yeah i i, I uh I'm a, I'm a fan of uh, i think the notion of data mesh i mean the, the book sitting over there and uh <laughs> the font, uh, really... font size is slightly too small for me oh yeah 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 no worries yeah and jimax <laughs> a really good friend of mine so you know i, I uh um you know jimax Tigani, the, the one who woman who came up with data mesh and so yeah. you know we, we talk often and i i think that to me it represents a, an ideal um that I personally, you know, agree with. Um, I know some people don't, but uh, I, I think that the, right now, you know, and it's ironic because I wrote a book called Fundamentals of Data Engineering. Um, but I feel like the distinctions between, um, you know, upstream and downstream uh, consumers of data, I think this is largely reflective of, of uh, sort of the struggles we've had in IT for, for the past few decades where, you know, the... Um, you know, we have systems that, you know, uh, make data and then we have to do analytics and, and all this stuff. And, and so, but I, I feel like, you know, especially as we move towards, uh, you know, data applications becoming more normalized. And what, what I mean by that is like, you know, there is no separation between an application and the, and the uh, data, if you know what I mean. Like machine learning, applica- machine learning powered applications like Uber, for example. Like there, yeah. there, I don't think there's really a, you know, from a user standpoint, it's not like I'm sitting there like, okay, now I need to go to my, uh, my other part where I'm going to, you know, access the data warehouse for my reports and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's just, everything sort of moves in like a very harmonious way, uh, between application and data and back to application again. And that's the feedback loop that I, you know, even in the last chapter of my book, I write about where I think that's hopefully the norm, but that also means, you know, data mesh becomes a practicality at that point. Um, you know, and so it's, um. But, you know, I mean, there's there's a lot of I, I think there's a lot of interest in this notion. But uh, when you kind of zoom out and look at this, the landscape of companies where this is going to be a challenge, that's like most of them. So, yeah, yeah, I wish we can get into if you'd like. But uh, I am a fan of data mesh to answer your question. Yes. OK, so the related to that and absolutely getting into companies where they're not doing that. Um, a friend of mine, Bobby Calderwood, we were talking about event storming. Uh, like where you get all the different stakeholders in the business into a room to talk about what a customer actually means to us all and that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. Do you think that is a useful fundamental data engineering skill to pull people into a room and just thrash things out as a company? I would say, you know, it's, it could be, I think if, if your um, organization uh, is flexible to that, um, type of a thing then sure uh if you're in an organization where you're just told to sit down shut up and do your job then i don't know that you're gonna have much of a look doing that you know hey everybody let's get together and talk about customers yeah. like can you go back to your desk there and uh just not talk to us yeah I mean, that is that is yeah. a lot of companies right i, I think mean, that, what we're fair, talking about so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i think i guess what yeah. we're, we're clawing at is is data engineering uh proactive or remedial are we trying to push the way data is done into a new future or are we just trying to cope with the way things are today? I mean, if you're asking me what, what I would prefer, I would prefer that people are, <laughs> you know, proactive and, uh, you know, pushing things forward. Um, you know, but, uh, but I don't, I don't know that that's, 
the reality of most people's uh, just intrinsic human motivations at their job. I mean, most people want to do the bare minimum and be as lazy as possible while putting in the appearance <laughs> or trying to do as much work as possible. Oh, you're um, <laughs> so, I mean, I, I, I've been around the block a bit. Um, I, mm-hmm. So it's like, uh, not saying that I've you know seen, but I've, I, I've been around the world a, a, a few times. I've, I've seen a lot of companies operate. And, I, and cynically, that's how it is, right? I mean, the, the, the non-cynical version of me hopes that that actually happens. And again, you know, the motivations for me writing the books that I, you know, the book that I've written and the book I'm working on, as well as a lot of the courses, I think is a you know, to help urge people that, you know, there, there is a different way, right? Like we don't have to be stuck in this old, old school IT mindset where we're just, you know, where data is a cost center and we just have to be on the receiving end of everything that happens. Like we can push and make changes in the business. And in fact, for, for the business to be relevant, it, it behooves us as an industry to really help drive that conversation forward. Um, you know, so it's about getting out of your cubicle if you happen to be in one of those things or, um, you know, uh, and, and just really, you know, I, I would say understand uh, how you can help impact the business more. But but again, you know, that that's what I want. I mean, I, I, I give very cynical responses because I I see enough to to be a bit jaded. Um, at the same time, I don't give up hope that, you know, we, we can make a difference as an industry. But I think because we have to. Right. I mean, what's. Yeah, you know, I talk a lot. I, you know, I, I talk a lot about this in, in uh, my sub stacks, really. It, you know, and I've uh, again, uh you know, people talk to people like Bill Inman, you know, quite often, who's you know, a really good friend of mine. And, and he's been in his programming back in 1960. I consider one of the people <laughs> that like helped invent the, uh, the data industry to a large extent. Right. And, uh, right. you know, and, and I ask him like, why are we, why do we still talk about the same stuff that I keep reading <laughs> about? Like back in the day, like, you know, adding value to the business and, you know, all these types of things. And, and he said, you know, it's, you got to recognize this industry is very immature, right? Accounting has yeah. been around forever. And, thousands of years arguably if you look at a you know something you know hieroglyphics and, and so forth i mean i think arguably those are about accounting <laughs> transactions yeah, yeah. and stuff so <laughs> um you know but data as, as a profession especially in the modern age of uh, you know computing which i still consider somewhat modern it's like it's uh you know it's still new so we're tr- still trying to figure this out right yeah, it's like the, half a century old which is nothing nothing in the grand scheme of things man yeah. i mean uh, i'm reading a book right now a really good book called how data happened <laughs> um, it's fascinating. It's good. It's I mean, good so it, it, you should, you should read it too. It, it, and, you know, for the audience, you should read it, but it's a good book about just, uh, the history of, um, our, you know, our modern usage of data, like statistics, right? Like that wasn't always a thing. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and in fact, people, people, uh, you know, uh, sort of, there was a period of time when people actually, uh, um, hated the idea that we were tabulating data. Uh, you know, and, and trying to figure out, num- you know, uh, way, you know, how was, uh, how, how, do, how does this data describe society, right? Um, and so that was only back in the late 1700s, early 1800s. And, you know, and, and so data collection is still fairly new in the grand scheme of things. And so for us to, you know, as, as, a, as, a, as and I, I still think, you know, the, the, the bridge between, uh, you know, IT and the business is still very real. In fact, Bill and I were doing a, uh, you know, a, an event last week in Denver and he was talking about, you know, his biggest struggle, uh, the biggest struggle he's seen in his career is what he calls the divorce between IT and the business, right? And so, you know, I, it's, it's, yeah. it's a real thing. And, he, and his, his goal in life is to, or his, his wish, uh, you know, is that hopefully that, that uh, you know, divorce is, uh, 
you know, mended and everything's fine, but it's going to take some time, but he feels like we're getting there. Right. I mean, the, 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 the silver lining is he feels like we're, we're getting there and it's through, I think discussions like this, and I think through just being aware, right. I think the problem is with it is, um, you know, to zoom in on that for a bit, it's like, we, we tend to be very it centric, um, and not focus on what quote the business needs. Um, the business on the other hand tends to look at it as a cost center, um, you know, and by IT, I'm lumping in, you know, data teams and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, but you know, what, what changes this is obviously when, when data and technology becomes the center of the business. So obviously in a new, newer school companies or companies that grew up in the, um, you know, the internet era, quote unquote, um, you know, and, and the mobile era now today, you know, it's a much better shot at doing this because there's no difference between technology and the, the technology is the business and data powers it. And so that's the the main difference. But then again, back to, you know, the, the fact that there's a lot of these mature companies out there where that hasn't been the case, it's, um, you know, the, it's, it's, it'll, it'll have to happen. Right. Um, I would hope so. Uh, I would hope we're yeah. gradually clawing our way towards the future on that. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, uh, everyone will just adopt AI in the next year and it'll be all over, you know, everything will just be great. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I'm told. So I'm told. AI and blockchain, yeah. and we won't have any problems anymore. Nah, it's all fixed. <laughs> yeah. So, okay. So, <clears throat> obviously, that's going to happen. But if it doesn't happen, and someone wants to do the hard graft of moving us towards a data future, yeah, give me a quick top three or four things someone should focus on learning to apply to their career. Obviously, you know, get my book and read that. That will hold all the uh, keys to the kingdom here. Um, you know, educate yourself, right? I mean, it's, it's, so obviously, you got you know, you have to know the technical aspects of your job. I mean, that, that's just, that to me, that's table stakes. Like, you know, know how to code, know how to use your systems, know the best practices. Like, if you're in a cloud, like, know how that cloud works. Maybe. I, you know, I dare say get a certification so you really understand how they want you to think about that platform. I think that those right. are good steps. Get the yeah. technical, you know, foundation there. The other things you need to do though are, are definitely not technical, right? And this is, um, you know, this is kind of what we were talking about uh, um, earlier. But it's it's the the hard part is really taking those those that technical acumen and applying it to solving real problems i know this sounds completely cliche like i, sh- I should be giving like a uh, you know a conference at a, at a regis or something talking about this so it's like, <laughs> you know yeah um, yeah, yeah like add, add more value um you know and all these like stupid tropes uh but it's it, you now but people say this and people keep repeating this because it's absolutely true right i mean if, if the entire industry is like, still uh um you know crying the same thing after a while you should probably notice this thing and this is this is where i think it's that hard right so it's but there are some ways to do this um i think again learn the bigger context of like your craft and how your craft fits into a business so that again like the data engineering life cycle is a for data engineer that's at least one lens through which to view the world i can't say it's the only lens but it's a lens i I think would be highly useful to you um understand uh, you know up up and downstream too like you know if you're working with a software engineering team like how are they doing things what do they want what are their goals like what are they incentivized by that's a big one like are they yeah. incentivized to finish their sprints or like what makes them tick because for you to work with an upstream team means you need to learn to play ball with these people they aren't going to play ball with you and the fact of the matter is um 
they don't need to care about you. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and the issue is you completely rely on them. Yeah, you need 100%. them more than they need you. Oh, yeah. So you yeah. better... You better know how these people work and you better make some friends there for you. You know, don't go into this with a contentious situation saying, you know, I, I demand my data look like this and blah, 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 blah. They'll be like, yeah, that's great. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get to you when I get to you. Um, yeah. So definitely, definitely, you know, develop a good rapport with people who you depend upon, right, for, for the data. And then obviously downstream, Work with data scientists, work with analysts, um, work with people who are dependent upon you, understand what they want. Maybe spend a day shadowing them. Just understand, okay, so like, um, you know, when a, you know, when a machine learning model is built, like, what does this look like and how is it used? And what, you know, you're using my data that I'm providing you and then, you know, know, what, what happens to it? And same with a report. And I think having that empathy goes a long way. I think the reason I, you know, gravitated towards data engineering was because I, um, I really understood what the output needed to be. Right. It's not like a, yeah. it wasn't a mystery. It's like I know what a what this model needs to look like and I know how to get there. And you work backwards. And so it's about working backwards and forwards. Right. Again, upstream, uh, you need to understand those systems that generate the data and the people who are responsible for, for giving you the data. Um, I wouldn't say responsible for the people you depend upon to do it. They aren't responsible for anything as far as their, their concern for you. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reality of it. Um, yeah. But then you got to zoom out, right? So this, those are immediate up and downstream stakeholders shifting left and right. But then it's the, zooming out for the business. Like one exercise, you know, what, one, one thing I, I say, it's not even exercise, but it's like a, it's a practice, a value stream mapping. Um, value learning stream that mapping. and like, yeah, yeah, that's, I, I think that's an awesome uh, superpower. So it, this is a practice that came from Lean, uh, if you're familiar with that, the manufacturing uh, practice. So no. Lean is all about like, um, Lean's awesome. I, I well, okay. So like you've heard of DevOps, right? I mean that that yeah. got its start in, in inspiration from Lean. Lean is about like removing bottlenecks, eliminating waste, and providing more value to the end customer as efficiently and cheaply as possible. Um, and so value stream mapping is is a is a practice within Lean where it takes okay. So I, if I have an external customer, um, yeah, maybe you know, so a customer places an order. What happens? Until, you know, from the time that order is placed until the uh, customer receives what it is they happen to order, right? That's yeah. a value stream map, right? Value means the customer provides value. You get the value of their, hopefully, money or whatever they provide you. Um, but it's about mapping that entire flow, right? Like, what happens each step of the yeah. way, whether it's a process or information flow? Um, this, to me, is like the, the superpower. Because if you can understand, you know, end-to-end, uh, you know, how a customer, um, how you provide value to a customer... And then you understand, okay, so along the way, there's data, right? Data, when an order is placed, that's, that's when that order is created. That's, okay, so what happens after that, right? And then, you know, shipping confirmations, all this stuff. So data flows, right? And then you know, I think if you understand how that works, that is a, that's one of the most underrated superpowers I could think you could have as a data practitioner, whether you're an engineer, a scientist, software engineer, whatever. Um, but just understanding yeah, that okay. flow and understanding, like, how do you impact bottlenecks, right? Like, um, where can you eliminate waste? Uh, you know, so one thing, you know, wasteful is, is batch batch is inherently wasteful. Don't let things queue. Uh, you know, the, you know, each process should pull what it needs. Um, so maybe that's a, a, an argument for, um, for streaming, for example, right. Where things just move in a continuous flow. Like, why do you have to wait on things? Uh, that's a cardinal sin in lean. You don't wait. Um, right. Yeah. You eliminate yeah. waiting stupid so just understanding waste right and what is what is waste what is what is necessary waste what is unnecessary waste that needs to be banished right these are the things that i think lean really advocates for but i would say the superpower for um you know practitioners and 
technology is just, I think, adopting these principles and understanding them. I, hopefully this is, because if you can, if you have this perspective, then you actually understand, you, you start having empathy with, empathy with the business, right? And so I yeah, think that's yeah. one of the things I'm trying to advocate for. Um, so I don't know if I'm like making success, you know, progress in that or if I'm just screaming at the sky, but uh, <laughs> it's a lot of fun either way. So Yeah, I can imagine. It's funny, there's a very neat parallel there. You start off by thinking your job is to get from, you know, one serialization, JSON API over there to proto buffs over there. But what you're really doing is not just integrating data, but integrating people and ideas. Bingo. Yeah. Yep. That's all it is. That's all it is. I mean, you can make APIs for their own sake, right? but it's like, uh, <laughs> that can be fun too, person. but that's not going to yeah. move the business forward, right? That's exactly it. And that's, yeah. I think it's the end of the day, you know, the other superpower um, is just understanding what the business wants. So what we just said, like, what, what are you doing? And it's like, Again, I feel like I'm I'm, I'm that guy in the uh, the blue shirt and khakis at the Regis talking about adding value to the business, but at the same <laughs> time, it's like this that it that is the job, right? So yeah, you know, so and the particular technologies will enable it, but you have to understand context and what you're exactly what you're really integrating, which isn't just mm -hmm. bits and bytes, right? Yeah, yeah. So okay. We're ending on a hefty, weighty, business-wide note there, which <laughs> makes me happy to give you your fundamentals badge. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Joe, thanks very much for talking to us. Cheers. Anytime, Chris. Great talking to you, man. Thank you very much, Joe. I hope the book on data modeling goes well. It sounds like something we do need. Maybe we'll get you back in the studio once it's published. Until then, we will be speaking to lots of other guests. So if you've got a suggestion for who we should be talking to, please drop me a line. I know there are some people out there who are happy to volunteer themselves. This is good. But feel free to volunteer someone interesting too. I'll see if I can persuade them to talk to us. As ever, you'll find my contact details in the show notes. But you don't need to do suggesting. You don't need to do anything except maybe click like and subscribe and all the answers will be delivered to you in due course. This is a data stream I'm very happy that people are subscribed to and we will pub your sub as soon as we can. So on that note, I leave it till next week. I've been your host, Chris Jenkins. This has been Developer Voices with Joe Reese. Thanks for listening. <laughs>